Welcome to Ing Podcast, a production of Menno Media's Leader Magazine. Our world is increasingly complex, fast-paced, and divided. How are people of faith bringing their best selves to the world each day? How are we leading, growing, and being as people of God? Ing Podcast is a place to share insights and stories from individuals creatively engaging the present and moving into the future. On today's episode, Ing host Allison Moss sits down with Megan Good, teaching pastor at Trinity Mennonite Church in Glendale, Arizona, and author of the recent book, The Bible Unwrapped, Making Sense of Scripture Today, published by Menomedia. We get really used to pulling little excerpts from it and sort of bumper stickering the biblical narrative. One of the biggest revolutions for me was learning how to put the bumper sticker back into the larger, the larger letter, the larger story and asking like, what do these words mean when I'm reading kind of the whole flow of what this author is saying? And it really, I think so much of the, the important things I've learned has been about learning to sew the narrative back together. Sort of like if you have a puzzle and there's a variety of pieces and, and all you're holding is one piece at a time, you never see what that piece is, is serving in the whole. So it's, it's learning to put those pieces back in place to see the bigger picture. Megan will be talking about her experiences with scripture as well as reflecting on her journey as a faith leader and insights that she has gleaned from an upcoming book project. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Ing Podcast. It's Allison here, and I am here with Megan Larissa Good. Megan, hello. Welcome to our podcast. Glad to be with you. Could you give us a little introduction? Tell us who you are. I am the teaching pastor at Trinity Mennonite Church in Glendale, Arizona, so I live here in Phoenix. Um, I also have a passion for writing, and that's a lot of what I do on the side, so I a couple years ago, wrote a book called The Bible Unwrapped, introducing how to read the Bible from a Jesus-centered perspective. And I'm working on a new book right now on loneliness. Well, thanks again for being here. We are so excited to uh, break down these two uh, different books, the one you've already published, the one you're working on. Um, so let's start with The Bible Unwrapped. Um, Megan, why does the Bible need to be unwrapped? What is it wearing? What is it wrapped in? <laughs> yeah, I've talked in the course of my pastoral ministry to to so many people who have struggled with their relationship with the Bible. Um, you know, if if the purpose of the Bible is to see the character of God and and the world through the lens of God, um, kind of like looking through a window. For a lot of people, it feels like the window is a little bit fogged, right? That there's something mm-hmm. kind of getting in the way of their vision of seeing clearly um, who is this God that the Bible is pointing to and what is this story. Um, and part of that fog is, I think, our own kind of biases and assumptions. Uh, a part of that fog can be cultural differences between the original listeners and us. Um, mm-hmm. So there, there's a whole lot to, to unwrap in ourselves, <laughs> um, in the, the distance in time and place between the original listeners and us. And um, all of that is a part of making the glass clearer and cleaner so that we can see what is being reflected on the outside. Yeah, I I think that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of layers you talked about there. Like some of it is within us and personal bias. Some of it is this like cultural or like traditional way of interpreting. And I I know for me in my journey in seminary, a lot of times I 
myself and saw other people have this shift um, with their relationship in the Bible. Um, And I'm wondering, like, for you as someone who, you know, unwraps the Bible and has it made a change for you um, either personally or in the way that you now lead in your ministry as a pastor? Yeah. You know, I think one of, as I think back over my own journey with scripture, I've been a a lover of the Bible since my early teenage years and just had a really early passion for it. But uh, I think the process of learning more about the Bible and skills for reading, there've been several sort of revolutions for me personally in that process. Mm -hmm. Um, And and some of it involved very simple things. Uh, I think maybe one of the most important is, is learning to read um, what happens around a passage of the Bible, um, in part mm-hmm. because the way the Bible is often used in church or in devotionals, we get really used to pulling little excerpts from it and um, <laughs> sort of bumper stickering the biblical narrative. And yeah, totally. one of the biggest revolu- <laughs> revolutions for me was learning how to put the bumper sticker back into the larger, the larger letter, the larger story, and asking like, what do these words mean when I'm reading? kind of the whole flow of what this author is saying. And it really, I think so much of the the important things I've learned has been about sewing, learning to sew the narrative back together um, rather mm-hmm. than just dealing with sort of like if you have a puzzle and there's a variety of pieces and, and all you're holding is one piece at a time, you never see what that piece is, is serving in the whole. So it's it's learning to put those pieces back in place to see the bigger picture. Yeah, I really appreciate that, like, that metaphor of sewing it back into, like, the place where it belongs, almost. Um, And I also really appreciated that you said, you know, this is, you talked about it, is it's not like there's one instance, but it's this learning, and it's this, like, journey and, like, continual unwrapping that has to happen. It's it's incredible how you can keep being surprised over and over again. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I think that as leaders, oh, at least I shouldn't s- generalize this, but me as someone who preaches and is seen as a clergy person and authority, um, sometimes it does feel like, oh, I have to have the right answers. I have to be able to give people the right thing. And so I just appreciate that. Like, even as a leader, we're still learning how to do that. And yeah, we we gain skills and tools that help us to do it better or we might notice things um, more, but it is something that's ongoing and our relationship with scripture can change even as pastors. I read this wonderful book a few years ago um, by a a Jewish author reflecting on scripture um, from a Jewish perspective called The Burning Word. Um, Mm -hmm. And she talked in this book about how the the purpose the purpose of scripture from a Jewish perspective is is relationship with God it's it's to open this dialogue, and I think that's something that had been dawning on me for a long time. Um, but it, it was really interesting to hear it articulated in such kind of a, a gorgeous full throated argument that the relationship with God for Christians through Jesus um, is is the end that all this project is driving toward. And that the, the most important thing is not to have the final answer. The most important thing is to be in the relationship and be in the conversation. And it made me panic less about how many times I've learned I'm wrong or how many things I might not still know because 
you know, I'm in the relationship, right? I'm showing up to it. <laughs> I'm opening my Bible and I'm saying, God, what do you have to say? And, and that process of showing up to the conversation is, is the core of what this is about. Oh yeah. That's beautiful. It, it does feel like you're asking like, what is the purpose of scripture? And this idea that you're presenting that it's for a relationship with God feels very different than the way that a lot of people talk about it as it is maybe a, an instruction manual or a truth standard. I think for a lot of people, it is a new idea and it, it, it comes with a sense of discomfort sometimes at first. You know, a part of why or the journey through which I became so convicted about this was actually reading um, many of the early church writers, some of the, the earliest Christian believers, and beginning to recognize that this this contemporary way many Christians have been taught to think about the Bible more in the instructions manual sense is actually not a reflection of what the early Christians said and wrote about the Bible. Um, the, the earliest Christian writers were very clear that the Bible is a means, but the end is Christ himself. The end is encounter with Jesus. Um, and in fact, if, if the goal was just giving you instructions, you might expect a different kind of text. Um, one that, you know, most of us don't have so many if we're honest, different kinds of questions about. Um, I think it was one of the great church theologians, Origen, who said, um, you know, the purpose of the difficult passages of the Old Testament is to to force me to wrestle and in my wrestling to encounter Christ. He said it more elegantly. <laughs> but that was the, the framework um, the early Christians had for thinking about what they were engaging and how. So what I'm proposing and saying this is not something new, it's actually calling us back to what the earliest Christians believed and understood that Jesus is the end. Um, Scripture is, is the witness. Scripture brings you to Jesus. (laughs) Scripture leads you to the encounter. And I don't think that diminishes its worth. It just helps you understand how its worth is directed. um, What, what its purpose is. I really like that shift too, that I feel like I have a lot of conversations with people about like, how do I convince people that like my faith is valid, that the scriptures are, <laughs> you know, a, something that can be trusted with authority. And I appreciate this shift feels like it's more about asking the question of like, what is the Bible's relevance for myself as an individual, for ourselves as a community of disciples? Um, it's not to throw in the face of others to be like, oh, here's the like factual nugget um, that proves that I'm right. It's more about this. All right, what what am I getting out of it that is, yeah, leading me closer to a relationship with God? Well, and, you know, and keeping in, in mind that that also is true in the plural, right? It's not just leading me closer to my relationship with God, but that like part of the story is like we as a community are being drawn towards something and that this this act of, of dialogue around scripture draws us together, um, at, forms us as a community toward Christ. Yeah, absolutely. That was one of the questions I actually wrote down is, what is the role of the community in unwrapping the text? Is there, yeah, a communal um, posture that happens in this process or that you've seen or that you've led? You know, the, even the idea of reading and studying the Bible as an individual is relatively new in the history of Christianity. Um, mm-hmm. 
in part simply because most people in the history of Christianity didn't have access to their own copy of the Bible to just kind of sit, you know, as I did this morning in their, in their easy chair and (laughs) um, engage all alone. Like historically, this has pretty much always happened in a communal setting. Um, And I think, I think there is, you know, I, I'm a huge believer in the formational power of personal Bible reading and, and, you know, opening scripture as that, as that window, as that channel that allows God to speak to, to my life today. Um, but I also think, particularly when our interest is not just, God, what is your word to me today? But it's, it's God, what is, what is your plan for the world? Like, what is your, what is your will in a larger sense? Um, that that's really best listened for and discerned by the community together. Um, in part because I, it certainly has become clear to me the longer I'm a Christian and a reader of the Bible, just how many blind spots I have, um, how easy it is for me to, to believe that I've seen the, or heard the kind of obvious truth that the text has to give, um, and then I might read a story with someone else, and and it becomes really clear. I saw it from a particular angle that was formed by my experience of the world, but their experience allowed them to see it from a quite different angle. And sometimes that's been super unsettling and super humbling to realize, you know, I thought I knew what was in front of me and it turns out there were huge things I missed. Um, so that is why I think the, it's so important if, if the question is not just the spirits leading of me today, but, but what is, what is God's will for humanity? What is the character of God? And that that's something we listen for with others. So we have more eyes, more minds, more experiences on the whole of the picture. And that feels all the more important in this season of pandemic to me. Maybe not that it's more important. I think that it's always important. But in these moments where we aren't in corporate worship, we aren't necessarily listening to sermons and discussing them and and reading scripture in person the same way, but to like keep this more corporate communal lens open as we approach scripture and, and think about the future and the hope for the church, these different perspectives feel like all the more precious. If God is speaking to all of us, uh, it feels like a little bit less pressure on me. <laughs> so maybe sure. that's a selfish thing, but... I don't know. Well, I think it is the pandemic experience has been an interesting one in this because always at all times there there's a kind of we have to fight a drift to conformity where we we only mm-hmm. read, we only listen, we only pray with people who already share our beliefs about the world. Um but when you when you close close the circle in a pandemic situation and you invite people into bubbles, like bubbles tend to to reflect even more of that kind of homogenous quality that we all tend toward anyway. Absolutely. So uh, I think like fighting that 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 drift um, is even more difficult and challenging and even more important in 2020 than it usually is, just because we're in different settings, all of us. Yeah. So how do you fight that drift? Like what does that look like? Or how do you encourage your community as a leader to, to fight that drift? Well, I I think one aspect of it is I I always think that progress begins with awareness, right? Like being aware that you are not immune to that. And that it's, it's funny to me, even people who theoretically know that this is a problem still tend to drift toward ideological (laughs) homogeny with people Mm -hmm. who think like them. Mm -hmm. Um, So just being aware you're not above it, no one's above it. And and with that awareness, beginning to deliberately seek out 
like who, who are people who have a different perspective or stand in a different place or have different experiences than me. And, and, you know, part of the beauty of technology is there's just so much available. Um, you know, I'd been, I'd been thinking of as a pastor for years, starting some kind of online education or Bible study or curriculum development. But this pandemic was the first time I, I took the time to do it. And it was amazing how it allowed all these people from different, different geography and different traditions to suddenly participate in a conversation around the Bible that we never would have had um, in another circumstance. So there is opportunity as well as challenges of this time as, as more things are just available online if you seek them out. Absolutely. It's always good to point to the blessings of this season because <laughs> it is it is hard sometimes to realize that oh even if it it's just yeah making us more aware of like oh there are resources there are ways that I can reach out um even though it does take intention to do so we're going to take a quick break now to thank our sponsors and invite you to consider sponsoring ing podcast You can also play a big part in helping us spread the word about this podcast by giving our new Facebook page a like and sharing your favorite Ing podcast episodes with friends, encouraging them to subscribe and join this movement of leading, growing, and being as people of faith. Thank you for your continued support of this podcast. In challenging times, how do we prepare for tomorrow? Invest in the path ahead with hope and sharing, love and caring, and with help from Everence. Many of us are taking it day by day, step by step. How can we make room for financial strategies and the Holy Spirit to help guide us for the longer term? Financial services for a purpose. Visit us today at everance.com. I want to shift to talk about your new project, Looking at Loneliness. I'm very intrigued not just because we're in a pandemic and probably feelings of loneliness, I would guess are <laughs> rising or have risen. Um, but can you tell us a little bit more about your new project? Yeah, it's it's funny as I've, I've started talking about this project more publicly during the pandemic, but I've been working on this book for over a year and a half. So this was well in development prior to the situation changing. Um, but I think certainly our experience in 2020 is heightening people's awareness of of what's going on. Um, but this, this really had kind of become a pastoral burden of mine because I, I felt like I was having so many conversations where people would come to me for pastoral counseling and the biggest kind of crisis they were facing was a feeling of isolation or loneliness. Um, and, and these people were all over the spectrum, like some were married, some were not, male and female, young and old. Um, there was just so many demographic differences between them. And after a while, I began to wonder, like, what is what is the dynamic that is happening culturally that that seems to be leaving so many people in apparent proximity, but feeling stranded? And it turns out there's there's just an incredible amount of research going on right now around this. Um, a couple of years ago, Great Britain appointed their first minister of loneliness um, because they realized there was such a kind of rising epidemic of of social isolation and loneliness in. Um, I shouldn't say in Western cultures in particular, because I I think all cultures have it, but it looks different in different settings. But this growing research was showing that it's not just a a question of people's happiness, but that it has such chronic loneliness has such severe health effects um, 
you know, Brigham Young University had a study recently that found that um, feelings of chronic loneliness decrease people's lifespan by an average of 15 years, um, which is greater than, you know, other major risk factors, including smoking or drinking or obesity. So it, it just seemed to me there was this urgent question on the table and an urgent question of like, what is, how is human life best constituted? <laughs> what does it mean to live a fully human life together? Um, does the church have any, any response, any good news to um, a time when perhaps one of the greatest human challenges has to do with um, how we, how we relate to each other, how we live together or don't. So it, it seems to me there are some really huge questions out there for the the church to be wrapping its head around. Yeah, absolutely. And it does feel like, I know I've heard things about loneliness before this pandemic. Um, working with college students, it's something that comes up a lot for you know, these young people who are in transition, uh, who are trying to come and make new friends and and figure out their own personal identity, um, even surrounded by people. Um, I've heard a lot of those stories of loneliness. And I'm wondering, like, as a leader, how do you, not you, I'm not asking you to <laughs> give me all the answers, but if you have them, you can share them. <laughs> how do we, as especially leaders, approach this we can't be everyone's best friend we can't like solve their loneliness necessarily but how do you start approaching that as a pastor well I think as with a lot of problems or um the solution there there's two levels there's the how you work with the individual and there's the social questions of how the community is structured and functions um and you know, this would to go really deep into this would <laughs> be a long conversation about how those yeah. those two elements work in in loneliness itself. But um, you know, on the on the individual level, I do think there are as you have conversations with people, there there are particular ways of just talking to them about where they are placing themselves in life, what kind of relational risks they're taking, what holds them back from relationships, um, what kind of what kind of assumptions they're making of what relationships are worth having and what aren't like that. There's a whole body of conversations that kind of happen pastorally as concerns the individual. Um, corporately, I, I can't even remember what pastor once gave me this, this suggestion. Cause I, I found myself overextending myself relationally, constantly trying to plug holes for people. And some pastor gave me the advice that he thinks of himself as a matchmaker and that whenever he has dinners with people or whatever he like thinks who would be good friends with this person <laughs> like who would be a good fit and he he deliberately tries to make introductions and sees that as his role so I think that really helped me when I began to shift my thinking from like I am the answer to this to like I I am the hub of a wheel as a pastor and you know as I know people I can help people locate each other and I can make invitations um and and kind of put the ball back in their court <laughs> Um, and then there are very big community conversations that I think a, a pastor or leader can have. Um, one of the big ones I think is long overdue in the, in the Christian church in general is like, what is the Christian definition of a family? Um, I, I think Jesus had quite radical things to say about family. Um, and many Christian communities function very differently from Jesus's description of the way that, that following him disrupts and reconstitutes family. Um, 
and even even I think, and I haven't yet had these conversations as as boldly and frontally as a pastor, but <laughs> I think about it a lot, is just how we make our decisions around money and housing. Um, you know, is is the the American way of of every family with its own private residence with a garage door opener, you know, who mostly watches Netflix at night and doesn't exit. Like, is that, is that the Christian, the Christian ideal of what human life looks like to flourish? Um, or if, as we reimagine family, could we even reimagine different ways of, of living or, or housing or um, just everyday rhythms of life that would allow people to live a more connected, fully human existence in their space? Oh yeah. I love a lot of what you said. I was thinking as you were talking about the like American family, like individual households um, idea of it felt felt like when we went into quarantine for me that like, yeah, everyone, you know, we had to buckle down and, you know, kind of <laughs> turn inward and hunker in our homes. And I do think like for people, I live alone and I immediately was like, looking around like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. And so I adopted a cat and, um, but I was, I've been thinking about that a lot recently too, of like, how would it have been different if I, you know, was incorporated into a, yeah, sort of family, whether that's other singles or, you know, friends with kids, anything, um, how that could have totally transformed my quarantine or even my life living you know, in this place where I am far away from my family and a lot of my connections. Yeah. Well, and I've been, I've been super blessed by having people in my life who are willing, who kind of share my thinking around this and are willing to like think thoughts and dream dreams. And, you know, I also live alone. And um, when, when the COVID kind of chaos started in March, um, there's a family that I'm very close to that basically said, like, if we really lock down, like, you're welcome to come live with us for the lockdown. Mm -hmm. Um, and it turned out over the course as this has extended longer, um, living alone wasn't working great for me. <laughs> and yeah. I, I actually made a move. I'm, I'm currently living with a, a woman in her 80s um, who was also in different ways um, needing, needing someone in the house. And it's been great. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm in a much healthier position. I, I hope and believe that it's serving her well. Um, and it just is amazing and beautiful to me the way that, like, as you're seeking new ways of, of being and living and existing in Christian community, um, God has just opened up doors and, and it's been good. It's been good in different ways every time. Yeah, that's incredible. I'm glad that you've found a place that is a good fit for you, especially during this weird season. Um, but another thing I want to go back to is this idea of being a matchmaker is yeah. also, I laughed. I don't know if you heard me, but it's so <laughs> funny to me, but I was just thinking that I, have a I work with college age young adult students and uh, one of my groups is um, a group of grad students young professionals and it is the easiest group for me to lead because they're friends like they are just friends taking care of each other and I, I'm there and I've introduced them and created space you know a little bit of structure around it but um, it really is like oh this is us taking care of each other. It's not me having to take care of <laughs> these people. Um, you know, and we basically are peers. We're all in that young adult uh, phase of life, but there is some freedom in the way that you shared about that of like, oh, 
matchmaker, not like burden or like pack mule of everyone's <laughs> burdens. And this is really, I mean, for me as a pastor, this is, I'm in my 12th year of pastoral ministry and it's just been one of the real challenges to learn. Um, one of the real epiphanies came for me when I was reading the Old Testament story of um, before they had a temple, they had this tent, the tabernacle, that they're moving their worship from place to place. And there's this long section in the Old Testament where it describes how that tent is supposed to be carried. And like each group of people is assigned their piece of the tabernacle to carry. And it's such a like kind of dull section of the Bible that I think most of us tend to skim right over it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was reading it one day and it just suddenly hit me like how often I'm trying to carry everybody's sections of the tabernacle and like how bad that is for the community. You know, I'm crushed beneath the weight of all of the pieces that I wasn't supposed to have. Um, somebody else doesn't have the purpose, doesn't have the thing to give that they were supposed to have. Um, and that that kind of like disempowering of the community happens all the time because leaders leaders carry things that weren't theirs to carry. They were someone else's to carry. (laughs) So I think one of the real challenges of leadership is like recognizing what is my piece of the tabernacle and how do I, how do I gently challenge, prompt and inspire other people to like take up their piece, whether that's relational or gifting or just anything else. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that role of leadership and the, the ways that we tend to, yeah, try to carry those pieces, um, I think affects like loneliness within leadership roles. Um, I don't know if there's any like research you've read that talks about like the loneliness of leaders in particular. There is. And the research actually really surprised me. Um, Cause I think I had, especially as the child of a pastor and the grandchild of a pastor <laughs> with mm-hmm. a lot of pastor friends, I had had certain narratives about how loneliness and leadership intersect. Cause I know so many I know so many lonely Christian leaders. Um, It turns out that research suggests that in, at least in like the secular business world, leaders are not statistically lonelier than anyone else. Um, And, and they said part of the reason for this is people might leadership might sort of create gaps at work. um, But people who rise in business settings into leadership positions tend to have strong social skills. (laughs) And so, you know, they're cultivating strong social networks outside of the workplace. Um, So interestingly, the people who tend to be loneliest are people at the bottom of the economic ladder who don't have the, the luxury of free time to cultivate relationships. Um, Now I think what's happening in the church to Christian leaders is, is a, fairly unique dynamic then that isn't isn't so much about leadership in a generic sense but it is partially the dynamic of leadership specifically in a in a integrated community setting where your the church is both your place of employment your place of leadership and your place of living life mm-hmm. yeah totally i think that i know for me like sometimes especially when i first moved into this new position it was like Am I here as these people's pastor? Am I here as friend? Like, I don't know anyone else in town. Um, So how do I, yeah, care for myself as someone who, yeah, I am social. That's why I work in congregational ministry. I have some social skills, but it feels like, well, that pool belongs to the congregation. And so I have to seek outside of that or something. Um, And I think that's something that you learn to navigate the longer you're in a place and um, in the role. At least it has for me. But um, 
it does feel unique. And part of what I think I, I have taken from a lot of the research and reading I've done in general is like, there are no cheap answers. Um, but, but part of what's really missing is, you know, if, if you want to live a full, <laughs> joyful human existence <laughs> as a Christian, um, we should actually be giving thought to like our relational priorities, you know, and, and where we're developing those circles and how we're cultivating them. And it's, it's so easy to get pressured by a consumerist society into the, you know, the only questions we're asking are have to do with the advancement in our job or how much money we're making. And, you know, I see this happening even in, in housing situations where people are moving farther and farther out of the city because they want bigger houses. And, you know, once they get 10 miles out, then they start feeling the isolation. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, there are real choices to be made here. Like what is, what is more important to you? Like the extra, the extra work hours, um, being able to move constantly in order to advance. Um, like when do your relational priorities begin to kick in? What kind of space do you give to them or make for them? So why does it, why does this matter for us as people of faith, this notion of loneliness and, um, what causes it and how it fits into our broader society? Why does it matter for us? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I, I could give a bunch of answers to that, but I want to give the one that really hit me first and is why I kind of launched on this project. Yeah. Um, I had been I'd been reading a book that was talking about, like, we, we preach this thing called the gospel, the good news, but, like, what is the good news? And this author was talking in the book about how, what the kind of heartbeat of the good news of, of the Christian gospel is, um, has has appeared slightly different in different times and cultural settings. Um, for example, in the, in the early, in the Roman empire at the time when Christianity first developed, um, there was a lot of religion. There were a lot of deities in play, but there was very little morality. Like there, there weren't a lot of conversations in pagan religion about like what, it, what is a, a, a structure of, of living virtuously. <laughs> um, and so part of what Christianity offered in that setting was like moral guidance, say a way of life. Um, and that was really good news to a lot of people. Um, in the Middle Ages, when when people were just dying in, in massive numbers from the plague, um, the, the good news of Christianity was in part like there is hope beyond this life. Um, Jesus conquered death. There is a resurrection. And so I was asking myself, what is the kind of heartbeat or the pulse of the good news today? And one of the things that just struck me is we have a we have a culture that is has been driven, I, I think, in, in large part by consumerism, just so deeply into into isolation, into distance, that there's a real soul wound. Um, you know, I, I think something like Cigna, the health insurance group Cigna, did a study that said forty seven percent of Americans report that they often feel alone. <laughs> You know that's a that's a huge number. That's a, there's a deep soul wound that our particular cultural setting and cultural choices have created, and and so missionally speaking, Christianity has the opportunity to speak some really big good news into that soul wound. Um, so at that level, it's it's a missional question in part. Like where is the where is the wound, and what is the good news of Jesus to the wound? Um, but I think you could also step back from mission and just say, in a larger sense the salvation Jesus brings is, is holistic. It's, it aims at the restoration of, of everything within us, within the world. Um, it's a restoration of full humanity and that, that restoration that salvation brings is not a restoration that comes to us just individually. It only comes to us as we kind of find our place back into this 
interwoven network that you can call it the Trinitarian community or, <laughs> the, you know, the, the body of faith that includes the Trinity and also our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so part of what we are doing when we address loneliness is we are working out our salvation. Um, we're learning how to step into that, that wholeness, that um, more, more human existence that Jesus has came, come to restore for us. I love that answer. I'm so excited to read your book. So yeah, I want to just sit in that. Um, so Megan, these two books that you have, this Bible Unwrapped and then your future project on loneliness feel very different. What's the connection there? <laughs> that is a constant piece of feedback I'm getting these days. And it's something much in my mind. You know, and I think the question, the the connection is in part, um, I began this book on the Bible originally, um, just because I have such a passion for helping people see the bigger picture, um, that sometimes we get so focused in on the, the kind of small questions that we miss the big ones. You know, the, the, the question of like, what does this verse mean? Or I don't know what to do with this story. And we don't get to the, the big question, which is like, how, how do all of these pages of the Bible come together to form one big story? Um, and so that's what brought me into this book on the Bible. And I, I think what has brought me to the this topic of loneliness is a very similar kind of large arc interest, um, which has something to do with like, where does the good news of Jesus touch down in our present time? Like this, this big story of scripture, this big arc, like where does that, that big arc that stretches over 2020 <laughs> become good news? Um, so it's, it's looking at one kind of particular question, but, but in response to that large, that, that large story of, of God restoring all things and that question of what in our own time and place most needs to be restored. Um, where is, where is healing deeply needed? Well, we would love to know what, yeah, where we can find you on social media or on the, how we can connect with you. Sure. Well, I'm not a huge social media user, but I am a <laughs> Facebook user. So you can find me. I'm Megan Larissa Good on Facebook. And I also have a website, MeganLarissaGood.com, where you can find out upcoming speaking engagements and um, just more word about this new project on loneliness as that develops. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here. This conversation really was fruitful and I'm going to be thinking about it for many days ahead, I'm sure. But um, farewell and peace to you all until we meet again. As always, we'd like to thank our guests and all who continue to support in podcast. We'd like to thank Everence, a faith-based financial services organization for their ongoing support of in podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, leave us a review and share the podcast with your friends. Do you have a topic or someone you think should be interviewed on Inc. Podcast? Let us know by emailing theinc at mentalmedia.org. Views and opinions expressed on Inc. Podcast are those of our hosts and guests and may not represent that of Leader Magazine or Mental Media. Today's show was produced by me, Ben Weidman. Inc. Podcast is a production of Mental Media, a nonprofit publisher that creates thoughtful Anabaptist resources to enrich faith in a complex world. To find out more, visit us online at menomedia.org.